cute, tiny, but tough. Devotees will sell their own mother to own one, and you can't talk them down from their automotive obsession. Yes, it's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode 191, The Cult of Jimny. Um, I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me in the quest to unravel the mystery that is the Suzuki Jimny, our Cars Guide Editor Mal. G'day, and James. Key contributor Steve. G'day, mate. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll also kick the tyres and slam the doors on a trio of recent entries to the Cars Guide Garage. Uh, Mel, you have been in? The new Volkswagen Golf GTI. Fantastic. And Steve? We've got a little Frenchie, the latest uh, Peugeot 2008 or 2008. Or 2008. Yes. Yes. Anyway, and I've been in the Genesis GV80. Then we're going to dive into your feedback. YouTubers, if you want to plot your own adventure, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's hit the start button. Jimny, gentlemen, the catalyst for this was a story from our very own Justin uh, Hilliard, who um, noted that in Europe, there is now a light commercial version of the Jimny because really it's around emissions regulations and LCVs uh, aren't as um, uh, targeted, enforced, yeah. targeted as it were in terms of their emissions. So they've just taken the back seats out of the chimney and <laughs> called it a van, basically. Um, a pretty obvious ploy. But it just got us thinking more about Jimny. A lot of people had read that story through the week. So anything that has Jimny on it tends to click pretty well on our site. Um, are you guys fans, Steve? Are you a Jimny fan? Are you on the fence? Are you against it? Where do you sit? No, you know, I, I am a big fan. I have actually driven one in a while now. It's probably, it's probably been a couple of years now since when it first launched that I've actually driven one. And I, I find myself wanting to drive it again. You know, yeah. I've actually, in recently, I'm like, man, I really want to drive a Jimny. I haven't driven a Jimny in ages. I really should like yeah. review that again. So It's withdrawal. Yeah, yeah it's it, like, it's, it's not a great car. And that's what makes it a great car. You know, like it's a little bit, it's a little bit crappy in some respects, right? Like as an on-road car. Yeah. I would argue around. that it is an excellent car. Oh. Yeah, it's, wow. It's, now it's not trucking any crappy. But with, with a very focused uh, key bunch of competencies. Yeah. I, I, like I say, I, I, it's not I, an all-rounder. Yeah. I think it's flaws make it appealing. You know, I yeah, think okay. there's too much like, too many cars are too homogenous. And I think that's part of the appeal of the Jimny is that it's different, you know, and yeah. it is, it's fit for purpose for sure. Right. Like it's, it's one of those. I, I just like the fact that it looks toy-like that it, that mm. it has this kind of gadgety toy-like quality to it. Yeah. It's got so much capability when you actually take it off road. So and it's a surprise package really. And there's an authenticity to its design as well. You know, yeah. you, you see like, you know, the Subaru Outback, the bits, a lot of the bits that have been added to it are about making it look like it's a capable off-roader rather yeah. than actually adding ruggedness. You yes. know, like the Jimny doesn't have a fake bash plate or, you know, driving lights that don't actually provide much light, you know, things like that. There's, there's a genuine authenticity to it. You know, the solid front and rear axles, the coil spring suspension, yeah. um, unpainted bumpers front and rear and wheel yeah. arches. But also to go with that, there's this um, kind of fetishization that the Japanese are, are, are known for. You know, I remember M4, who owns a, a, a Jimny, an older version. Previous Jimny. generation. It's a beautiful little car. 
He was in Japan way back when you could travel to Japan and he went to Autobacks, you know, that incredible yeah. kind of aftermarket emporium. And there was so much stuff for the Jimny that it, it was, it, it wasn't probably still is a really strong flavor of the month, maybe more than that. Uh, you can buy all this stuff to dress it up, customize it. And that's when it's really captured people's imaginations as well. Yeah. 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 And a lot of that's building on the heritage of the car. I mean, the, making this sort of, K-sized package since the 60s, I think, uh, and it hasn't changed much during that time, you know, aside from going from uh, two-stroke fuel to, to proper petrol. It's it's kept that sort of fundamental solid axle front and rear separate chassis K-dimensions uh, yes, package. But not, but not the K engine in that we've got, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a one and a half litre. That's right, but the body... The body, aside from the wheel arches, is identical to the K. K cut, right. In, Which would be 660. Yeah, with a turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, now, this, the, have you taken it off-road, either of you blokes? Like, yes. Is, yes. How, how, how's it go? It is outstanding. On standard tyres, it is outstanding. Not only is it very nimble, uh, the, the springs are very soft, so it's very good at keeping the power to the ground. Um, and like on skinny standard highway terrain tyres, it is immensely capable. Right. And to, but to your point earlier, Mel, you were saying um, a strict set of, um, you know, attributes that define its goodness. Um, ironically, the size of it makes it kind of great for the city, but in terms of its behaviour on typically ordinary urban roads, that's what makes it pretty uncomfortable to drive yeah. um, in the city. It is really so capable off-road. That's its natural habitat. Yeah. Yep. And but that I'm, soft springs also encourage it to wobble around as well. So high-speed cornering is not its forte. The yeah. solid axles skip over bumps. Um, how would you know that, Mel? How, how would you know that? Oh. By high speed, I mean in high range. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. Just to clarify. I not around Mount Panorama. Steve. But that's what I like about it. You know, I like that it is, it's a focused car. Like, yeah, it's not great to drive around town. Yeah, you're not going to go and uh, hit the racetrack in it because it's, you know, yeah, even just it'll it'll sort of, you know, roll and, and wobble a bit, uh, yeah, when you do throw it at a corner on the road. But I, I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree. It's more involving in that way. Yeah, um, well, you've got to drive it. You've got to drive it. And like a manual is a five-speed. The auto is a four-speed. It's, it's not a slick uh, kind of proposition at all. It is very involving, very physical. It feels like an older analog car, which really under the skin it's not, but it's closer to that than a lot of other modern cars. Yeah, but like we, we live in this age now of like uh, of, of modular architectures, you know, like everything's, you know, basically, all the, you know, these huge car companies, Volkswagen, we've now seen Stellantis wants to do it. Like, uh, you know, all the big car makers are using basically the same Lego bits to make all their cars. And so there is a certain, you know, uh, familiarity and like a homogenous nature to, you know, every model in the range almost. And in some ways it's not a bad thing, you know, like... You know, a yeah. Golf and it drives well, and a Skoda Octavia drives well. They're both good cars, but um, you know, I think the Jimny is one of those cars that sort of stands out for being different. You know, like the fact that it's so different is actually, yeah. and it's not perfect, but it's what makes it so appealing. You know, it's 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 almost it's it's old fashioned in the best possible way. I agree. I mean, particularly when you look at the interior design, it tips its hat to not only earlier Jimneys, but other kind of off-roaders in the way the instruments are laid out, the grab handle. I, th I think there's a grab handle for the passenger, On the passenger side, yeah. On the passenger side, all of that kind of tough stuff 
in such a tiny little car, it's really, really appealing. Yeah. Well, and what, beautifully yeah. made too, right. can I say. The plastics are hard but good quality and the paint quality is outstanding. Right, right. Okay. And, and Sorry, the, Steve. The, the, so yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, well, just to self-promote here, uh, I've got a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a story I've written this week uh, that should be on the website by the time this goes live. Oh, I thought um, you were talking about Otley.com. <laughs> yeah, Otley.com, which is actually... No, no we shouldn't joke about that because I don't know if, if that website exists. Uh, <laughs> we may be directing people to something they shouldn't do. <laughs> That's, That's a good point. I should have checked. Um, but no, I've written a story about Jeep. Uh, like Jeep has teased uh, most recently uh, uh, the silhouette of a, of a new model that looks very, very Jimny-like. You know, right. there's no... You know, there's no escape in the fact that it, it looks like a compact car with very Jimny-esque dimensions and, and just that that silhouette. That's all they've really released is just a sort of a, a silhouette of the of the car to tease it. Um, and, you know, there's, it, yeah. Jeep, uh, the Renegade, was the Renegade the little one? Yeah, yeah. the Renegade yes. was their smallest one, and it was a flop. It, w- it know, was like, a huge Surely flop it's due here. for round two, though, isn't it? That's right. So maybe this is a new Renegade. Would that be a fair mm. guess? Yeah, well, it could be. There, there, are, there are some reports uh, internationally that it's uh, that it is a that this will be a sub renegade. Renegade is still exists in in certain Other markets market, overseas. Yeah. We, we yeah. Don't, obviously we don't have it here anymore because it yeah. was so unpopular. Um, but my understanding of from the research I've done is it seems to be a a more like the renegade. Let's be honest. Even though it was a Jeep, it was it was you know there was a little bit too much. Feed 500x in it and whatnot. You know, there was right. there was a little bit right. too it was a little bit too on road focused, um, which in some ways is you know that's where the, the majority of the market is. Um, but I think Jeep has probably seen what Suzuki has been able to do. Like they've really muscled in on their turf, right? Totally, and Jeep's turf, and they. I think it's 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 it says a lot about the Jimmy that a brand like Jeep is is paying attention taking, to it and is taking like, well, a hey. lead from them. Yeah. Well, and it's well, important I'm, to consider on that note that you can't buy a Suzuki in America. So if Jeep's taking note, you know, globally, yeah. uh, whoa. Yes, and yeah. and a, a sub-renegade Jeep in the States would be just so tiny, you know, in terms of the, the way the market would see it, it, it would be literally almost like a toy. Um, yeah. So interesting that Jeep's going there, seemingly. Yeah, um, probably- but but on, on the flip side, Here's Suzuki extending the Jimny um, into a longer wheelbase five-door version that, that we will almost undoubtedly see at some stage. What do we make of that? I think yeah. a lot of that is for the Indian market as a Maruti. Ah, so the okay. Yeah, so the not the, the most recent, not the previous generation Jimny, but the, the traditional, I think it's the SJ from the 80s, uh, I think is still produced over there in, in long wheelbase form as a sort of a, a glass-bodied um, right wagon type thing now that car is getting pretty long in the tooth but it's immensely successful so they'll be i reckon they'll be wanting to uh, replace it and the long wheelbase version of the new car makes a lot of sense i reckon it would see its way here don't you i mean we um justin our own justin again another story is he got onto this courtesy of a japanese site called uh, moto and um would be a walk-up start here don't you think yeah i yeah. think so yeah i mean i don't I, you know like you say, it, it's it's almost impossible to buy one a two door one now. So mm. you know, I think Suzuki Australia would be mad not to try and access as many Jimnys as they possibly can. You know, like it's uh, it's not you know it's not their biggest seller. Like let's not um, 
overhype it. It's you know it it sells well for Suzuki. Um, so you know I think that would be wise to. Yeah, if, if it's available to them in right-hand drive, that would be, I think, smart to grab it. Yeah. I think I think it'll come down to whether it's produced only in India for India uh, yeah. uh, and whether it, they, they're building enough of the safety gear into it for yeah. India because India has far uh, lesser uh, safety requirements than us. Yeah. Um, but you know, having said that, we've seen Indian-built Suzuki's in Australia before when the, the Alto and the APV. Yeah. Um, you never know. Yeah, you never know. You never I mean, know. The, the other thing too is like, you know, we talk about the, the the van version of the Jimny in Europe, you know, getting rid of the back seat. It's not a huge loss. You know, they are not, <laughs> it's not a big back seat. And we've had that here before. I used to own yeah. one. Yeah. Yes, my, now. You had, yeah. a, what was the Drover? My Holden Drover, which was the, the rebadged Sierra with square headlights. Yeah. Uh, it was a two-seat version, which had a, uh, you know, a, a cargo barrier behind the front seats and technically a van with van rego and, you know, Mel, loading, we, loading zone show, rights and things like that. Should we show the photo um, of you and your well, It would be a shame would, not to. Which would be indicative of you um, analysing, assessing the high-speed on-road characteristics of the journey oh, uh, as well. Definitely. You know, this was, uh, this was a key part of my development as a motoring journalist. I think uh, all four wheels screen. went to full droop at that point as you put some air um, under oh, the yeah. wheels. For people listening rather some, than... Some, some, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, outstanding car. But, yeah, did, you don't miss the back seat. Um, yeah. Although, having said that, I have put two child seats in the back of the current one, and it was really good. Right. It's, it's a pain to load kids into the, the, the second row, but you open the back door and load them over the back seat. Huh. Well, but that was always that was. Might have a photo of that too. The, 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 oh. the, I, I remember, like I said, it's been a while since I drew one, but I remember it was it was sort of either or. You either had a boot or you had back seats. Like that was right. kind of it. Like if you right. put the back seats up, you're sort of left with, you know, yeah. four square centimeters of, of actual luggage space. <laughs> Mel, Mel, what did you use to load the kids in? Was it some kind of forklift arrangement, or did you actually just do it manually when you were going well, through the back door there? They were younger then, so they the forklift wasn't quite required. Uh, <laughs> I used my, my organic forklift. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. All right. Well, um, that's that's not a bad chat around Jimny. I think just the, the, the tenor of that conversation shows why it's such um, a popular car. It's got so much to, to recommend it and why people are yeah, falling over. It's cute. It it's cheap. It's authentic. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's the point, isn't it? So cheap, as I understand it, uh, the manual's about 27, um, and the auto is still less than 30, um, is the ballpark. I think is that's that? the new uh, the new light version as well with the steel wheels. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Right. So that that version's available in Australia with steelies? It's uh, coming shortly. Without uh, the multimedia screen, which I think will be the biggest. Without a multimedia it's screen. It's tough okay. to go to any car without a proper screen. All right. Well, that'll even it um, open it up even more, I suppose. Uh, mm. Okay, that's terrific. Thank you, guys. Good discussion. Um, what we'll now move to is our own garage cars that we've been driving. And Steve, you mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, it's French, four numerals. Fill us in. You, you haven't been in it all that long, but first no. impressions, maybe. Well, yeah, being Sydney based, uh, not many places I can go driving to. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, like I personally have been a big fan of Peugeot's recently, you know, I think, uh, you know, since the, um, 
I guess it's current generation 308 and we've seen the 3008 and 5008. I think they've all been, I think, frankly, underrated cars. You know, I think we tend to look at Peugeots and French cars in general as, you know, you know, the most overused cliche word in, in motoring journalism for a French car is quirky. Right. Um, but I don't yeah. think they are. I don't think Peugeot's are quick. I think they're just good. I think they're quite stylish. Mm. You know, the 2008 is another good example of that. Like it's a, the interior is really nice. I'm not 100% sold on this whole eye cockpit thing with the really small steering wheel and the high set dash. Like I can never quite get paid it. Uh, comfortable. It. Yeah. Anyway, can, but yeah, like it's just, it, you know, it's you two are obviously a, taller than most French people. Yeah. Whereas I'm clearly bang on because I'm, right. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I don't Likes know. To I just, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about French cars? I mean, particularly Peugeot's. I think, you know, like in, you look at them in Europe and it's just, a, you know, there's a border between a French car and a German car yeah. and, mm-hmm. and Europeans sort of see them like that, you know, like well, Peugeot for, is interchangeable with a Volkswagen, but not here. In the interest of transparency, I did work um, for Peugeot for a while uh, back in the day. It was some time ago now. But I think part of that is the brand, the, the way people perceive the brand. The, the German, Germans have an advantage in that Germany is seen as an engineering nation. You know, if it's German made, wow, that's got to be good. And that rubs off massively in terms of the cars. German cars are seen as, whether they are or not, the perception is they're seen as high quality, well-engineered things. Yeah. France is well known for wine, cheese, fashion, perfume, other things, but not cars. They're, they're not seen as a core car building nation. And yeah. the, the brand has not had a lot of just straight up promotion. It's very low and, and barely a, a blip on the radar, you know? And there's been some dramas in the past. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah Look, yeah. you know, as, as a longtime and multiple Alfa Romeo owner, I understand the concept of um, uh, past perceptions impacting future, you know, yeah, exactly. purchasing decisions. Um, yeah, look, but I, I think, and certainly that you know, the current Peugeot lineup, um, is more expensive than your average uh car, you know, than your the, the equivalent, uh, even the equivalent German, you know, the equivalent Volkswagen is, is you know, arguably better value. Um, yeah. Yeah. but I certainly think, uh, you know, the 2008, the 3008, and even the 308 previously, you know, they're, they're, they're worthy of consideration. You know, if you're yes. looking for a good yes. car. It's not the, forget the 508 too. Yeah, I think the like, yeah. the current Beautiful. crop is Beautiful outstanding car. inside yeah. and out. I just drove the 508, so I just swapped in from 508 into 2008. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a stunning looking car, you know. Is it the wagon? No, I had the, I had the sedan, the liftback or whatever. Which is a liftback, which is so yeah. smart. Which is clever. Although I must say, the rear door opening in the five double eight was uh, painful. Once again, oh, no. I think you're taller than most French people. Oh, no. <laughs> Mate, there's some small French people. The, the that rear door opening. Sacre blue. Oh, blue. <laughs> call me short. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just think I think the you know they've nailed their current style in inside and out. I think they're yeah. they're just good looking cars. And they and drive good. They drive unmistakably really well. Peugeot. They don't, they're not pretending yeah. to be anything else or aspiring to be anything else. It is Peugeot from top to bottom. Well, Even think, though they yeah. share a lot with with um, with Citroëns and they're about to share a lot with other Opal products, uh, you do not confuse it with any Citroën. Yeah. No, and I think Peugeot as a as a, a brand, if it, if suffer is the right word, there's been a lot of rub off from Citroën's genuine quirkiness over many many decades. 
and other French brands, not so much Renault, um, maybe to a slightly lesser extent Peugeot, but they, they cop the kind of overflow from Citroën's uh, out there-ness. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and uh, you know, I, as much as it's overused as a cliche, I think Citroën's that quirky. They're straight up quirky. They are. You know, they're just, that's, that's part just of their DNA. Yeah, that's, they've always been that way and they always will be that way, I think. And, you know, I think, yeah, they, they would be lesser for it if they weren't a bit weird. Um, Isn't it strange to think that they're trying to build a business on being the odd one out? Well, look, it's, like, it doesn't that seem fundamentally a, wrong? No, look, it, it goes to the, if they're zigging, we'll zag. You know, there, there's, there's one train of thought that says, look, let's fish where the fish are. If everybody wants those, let's go with the pack. But there's another yeah. train of thought that says, well, they're all doing that already. Why don't we do this and see if we can appeal to a, a distinct group of people it doesn't seem to be working very well in australia no they seem uh, to be going where the fish there. aren't <laughs> that's right that's right staying yeah. there oh cool there's no fish now yeah. speak sorry go go steve yeah no i think there's a lot of brands like that you know that that, that are the interesting one is i read an interview this week with the new uh boss of uh you know jaguar land rover you know they scrapped the xj because he just saw it as, it was too similar to you know to the german cars it's like why be like that and i think that's what the french have done, you know, but again, I, I think getting back to it, the Peugeot is Peugeot, particularly 2008, it's not that far off. It's Volkswagen equivalent. It's a yeah. very good looking, yeah. well driving compact SUV. That That is a perfect segue to, thank you, Steve. Mal, you have been in a Volkswagen. You've been in an iconic, the latest iteration of an iconic Volkswagen. Not in any way quirky. Tell us about it, please. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as we said at the start, I, I finally managed to drive the the new Mark 8 Golf GDI, the Volkswagen Golf GDI, this week. Uh, and it's actually my first taste of the Mark 8 in general. Um, it's confirmed my expectations that it's more like a, a step change, like we saw with Mark 5 and Mark 6, rather than an all-new car. But that's fine, because how good was the Mark 7 several years into its life? Um, so, But the GTI, as always, has a very tricky job on its hands. Um, you know, it's not just the original, what many regard to be the original hot hatch. Uh, but since the Mark V, I think it's represented this fantastic balance between performance, refinement and practicality. Um, and it's nailed it again, can cool. I say? Right. Um, right. Uh, hey. Go on, Steve. Have you driven it? Has anyone else driven it? Yeah, I've, I've driven it, but only on the, only out at um, Ludnam. Did the launch, right yeah. Um, I'm gonna say what I like about it, what I what I think the the issue that I personally have had with with recent uh, GTIs, and I don't disagree that it is a good balance between performance and, and refinement and practicality. But I think what they did in, in in the most recent iterations was go too tech heavy. There was too much uh, gizmos and gadgets and things like working in the background when you're trying to drive you know, diffs and transmissions and all that sort of stuff, just doing all this, you know, uh, effectively interfering, you know, like the, the appeal of the hot hatch to me has always been that rawness, small, small car, big engine, go for it. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, obviously you want it tuned up, um, but you know, it should be fun, right. Mm-hmm. It should be fun and engaging. And I mm-hmm. think that the Volkswagen kind of lost their way a bit. You know, they, they got very technical and it had, it was amazing. It was really quick, but it wasn't like, it didn't have a lot of heart to it. It was, it was a bit too, you know, a bit too, you know, technological. Interesting. Yeah. Rather yeah. than fun, right? Which is where what a hot hat should be. Where do you and reckon so, the Golf 8 GTI sits on that? 
I, I think that's that's what I think that's the thing that I really like about it is they have rediscovered some of that fun. That maybe it's still got the gizmos and the technology, and it's still it's still a very uh, you know high tech car. Like it's yeah. not like they've dumbed it down, yeah. but the way they've tuned it is just allows you to have you as the driver can have a bit more input, a bit more fun. I find that quite surprising to hear because I mean I haven't had the benefit of driving it on the track. But the fact that the, the exhaust is now quieter sort of makes it, it sort of pushes that balance more towards premium luxury rather than sort of naughty plaything. Um, yeah. But it's good to see it substantiates it uh, in the uh, the ultimate environment. Yeah. Well, I think that's the track. You know, I was lucky enough to drive the previous generation on the track uh, and the six on the track. And, and you can, you know, like, so to me, like, can just comparing like for like, having, yeah, I haven't driven it on the road yet. Um yeah, because that's really where it, where it, you really notice it, right? Like on the road, yeah. it's great, and you've got all that. Like it's a big safety net, and, and it's great. It should be like that. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't want to like be worried that you're going to fall off the road because it's it's out of control. But uh, on the track, when you really, really push it and really get to the edge of its, uh, you know, limits, you want to be able to have some fun. And well, I Steve, think- that's just part of your push to lower the production car lap record on every circuit in the country. You know, all this track yeah. work is that's yeah, a yeah. byproduct of you know yeah. driving the golfs is just a sideline. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, just as long as I, as long as it's my name <laughs> on that <laughs> on that honor roll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fantastic. But now, um, other thoughts? Yeah, so it is now a fifty-three thousand dollars starting price before on roads, uh, which sounds like a whole lot of money. Uh, and like I think a lot of us like to think of it as the forty thousand dollar benchmark, and oh. fifty three is now a long way from that. But the thing is, Australians have been lapping up these cars with all the options fitted. All the whenever they launch a spe- special edition, we just jump on it. So Volkswagen Australia be mental not to embrace that. So they've gone with the market, and that's why it's a fifty three thousand dollar car, and it it comes pretty well stocked. Um, well, again, again, just need to, to accept it. Yes, just to, just to um, lavishly self-promote. Uh, <laughs> Otley.com.au. If you, um, well, to be fair, these are all on carsguide.com.au. Okay, very um, <laughs> I did write. I wrote a piece last weekend on on the you know, the rising cost of, of hot hatches in this country. You know, the Golf. Uh, I believe it was the Golf and the Golf Jester ST have have jumped up more than twenty five percent in the last six years. You know, like it's a huge jump. Um, you know, they have gone from sort of low to mid 40s to, you know, so I, I mean, 53 is basically where the golf are, has been sitting previously. So it is a huge step up. And I think for some people, it's probably a step too far. You know, you end up yeah. going to be, you know, you're going to be missing out. I mean, in, in some ways, I think the smartest people, are the ones who, who've just bought a golf R for about 54, yeah. you know, which is where it's been, you get, you know, you get an all wheel drive, you get the more powerful engine. Because you know the new Golf R is not a huge step forward in that regard. And so, can I just reiterate: know, the smartest people were the ones who bought the grid, the Golf R grid with the cloth seats. It was well, <laughs> the, 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 it's the life of a product planner, isn't it? You've got to you've yeah. got to be have a have a sixth sense for demand, where the market's going, what the competitors are doing, the yeah. product that's coming down the pipeline. Gosh, how do you you know how do you juggle all of that and price a product and, and spec it appropriately? Yeah, but but to Mal's point. People buy, this is, you know, talking to Volkswagen, this is the thing. People have, uh, want the premium car. They want yep. the DSG gearbox. They That's want, it. you know, the trick div. They want the big infotainment system. So, yeah. you know, you know, with WLTP was a big issue for them. You know, you, you, know, you, you, you can't just have 
five different variants. You know, you can't have a cloth trim manual three door anymore. You know, you've got to sort of focus in on on what are the people buying while well, they're buying five door DSG with with, the, with you know the good sound system. Let's sell that one, and if it costs fifty three, it costs fifty three. You know, yes. like so. Yes. But you know, and it, and it, it is like I said, the whole segment, like that whole hot hatch market, from even the even the smaller Polo GTI class, they've all moved up. You know, even i30N has moved up in the last two or three years since it launched. Mm. Like, what I would say to that is, in other parts of the market, I don't think it's necessarily the case with a car like the Golf GTI. But if it's a more mainstream uh, mass model, and you sense that people are throwing in the options, and the big seller is a fair step above the, the entry price, all right, well, let's bring that car in. That's failing to recognise the role of the price leader to get people's interest in the first place. You know, to get them in the showroom. And they might be walked up to the model that people t- typically buy. So slightly different state of affairs, but you can be kind of swayed by these numbers without thinking of yeah. the slightly bigger picture. I, yeah. I reckon Volkswagen Australia would be relying on the Polo GTI for that. Right. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's significantly cheaper, but, you know, almost as quick. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it's it's effectively got the old Golf GTI powertrain in it now. Yeah. You know, like it's, yep. it's, what a car. The, what a cracking. They've all kind of moved up. Oh, yeah. You know? So yeah. it's... It's, it's been it's an interesting shift. All right, Mel. If you've got any, um, I do. Final, I've just final points. Let's go. A couple of things I said. A uh, couple of things I don't really like about it. Uh, I think the exhaust is is. Uh, I mean, I, I don't mind the lack of noise, but I think that the Octavia RS, which is its mechanical twin, makes more noise, and I think that's more appropriate. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's not a big thing. It can easily be fixed. But I think the wheels are a bit soft. the The appearance of the wheels. Um, oh. I think since uh, since Mark V, the wheels have been a key visual distinction between it and a regular Golf. And, you know, the Mark V wheels with those de- and six, those Detroit five-hole sort of Lambo-esque wheels. Is it a, is uh, a problem with the alloy, Mel, that they're soft? Can you actually like, put, your, put your thumb in there or something? That, that no. sounds like a major No, thing. no, just a, just a safe aesthetic I think we've gone with. Okay, fine. So Mark six with those five spokes with the aggressive sort of, you know, leaping spokes. But these yep. ones, I think, uh, look more, more the ones that are fitted to the Australian ones, at least, I think uh, are more akin to something you'd see on like a Golf Highline, like okay. a, a comfortable Golf. But yeah. you look at the ones overseas and I don't think they're particularly special either. And I think it's a shame because it used to be like a landmark moment and everyone would go and copy the Golf GDI wheels. Um, yeah, but they, it, just, they just look sorry. like wheels. They look like wheels. They look yeah. like some, a wheel that Volkswagen has has yanked from the parts bin as opposed to specifically designed for the GTI. I would say the Mark V wheels were iconic. You know, they're just, yeah. they just oh. help define the shape and of the car. they still look awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, never easy to underestimated, is it, the impact of the wheels? I mean, they're obviously a huge design feature on any car, but yeah. uh, they do make a mega uh, difference. But, yeah, but I think particularly with the Golf, because they, 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 they keep the GTI so visually discreet, and then there's the wheels. It's like, you know, Wearing a tracksuit, but you know, having bright red lipstick or something like that. Yeah, which is I've uh, seen you in that. I've seen you in that mode, Mel, and it, it does. It stands out, and it is something people wait for. I'd like to think I pop wheels on the uh, GTI. Mm. Um, but the other thing, sorry, James, if I'm carrying on here. Keep going. No, keep but going. the the DRLs and the bumper. I really wish Renault hadn't thought of it first. No. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame because Golf GTI is always the leader, you know. But they look so Renault Sport to me. Okay. You disagree? Cool. Uh, no, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Steve, what about you? Okay. No, no, I'm not. I'm not uh, passionately 
defined by yeah. Mal Mal gets he gets he gets wound up about this. Well, they used they used as a signature and you know to the face of the car. And I yeah. think Renault has had them for the last five or so years, and um, I think they've made it their own. And now here's Volkswagen with theirs, and you know Volkswagen should be inventing right. their own good call, yeah, good visual call. hallmark. Yep, yeah. Well, but I think that sort of speaks to the DTI is not necessarily the clear cut leader in that segment anymore, too. You know, like we've, um, you know, i30n is a good car. You know, oh. Renault's a good like it's. And- it's a, and with the, the new facelifted version with the dual clutch coming imminently, I think the GDI has got a big uh, yeah. big challenge on its hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, 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 you know, which is even with the dual clutch, it's going to be a cheaper car, you know, like several thousand mm. dollars cheaper. And so I think that's where it gets to, back to that price where if you're looking to buy a hot hatch, if you don't have more than $50,000 to spend, well, then Golf GTI is off the, it's off the list now. You know, it's just not an option. So, you know, if, you, if you're budget limited. So it is what it is. Yep. Mel, we draw a line under it. You got any more? Uh, they're done. But I still think it's nailed its brief. I think it's good. still a, yeah. an outstanding balance across those three pillars. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Now, I will finish things off in the garage with a Genesis GV80. Um, the one I've been in is the 3-litre D Lux. So it's a 7-seat, 3-litre turbo. Yeah, Lux. It's the D Lux. No, just Lux. Okay. It's it's the D. You made it sound in like Lux this. trim. Oh, big your part. D Lux. Okay. No, it's not D Lux. <laughs> well, it is D Lux, but the name is Lux, okay. and uh, it's a seven seat, three liter turbo diesel, six, two hundred and four kilowatts, five hundred and eighty eight newton meters, um, kicking in, starting for fifteen hundred RPM, eight speed auto, all wheel drive, hundred and thirteen and a half grand. So. In terms of the, the pluses, I actually love the look of it. I think Genesis has got its kind of design and styling game face on and those cars to mine look pretty good. The kind of two-stripe headlights uh, and tail lights, I, I, I for one. Um, it's a subjective call as always, of course, but it's something that pushes my buttons. I quite like it. I, I um, personally am not a huge rap for the look. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's it's almost uh, it's a little bit like poor man's Bentley Bentayga. You know, there's a, you know, that giant grill. Is That's very, what I love about it. Yeah, like, like I get it's a plus and a minus. Um, and if you actually look at the who the designer was of Genesis, Luke Bonkovolk, is has has Bentley and Lamborghini in his his past, and you Correct. can see elements of, uh, yeah, Bentayga and even Urus in the design. You know, it's yes. it's clearly like a theme for him. You know, the like. I, I think, think it's, it's the good elements without the bad. I think with the Bentayga and the. Urus have been forced to, oh, hang on, by the way, make sure it's identifiable as a Bentley and a Lamborghini, whereas I this, think it, I think it's been allowed to look like a good car. I think it was Luke Donkovog who, who, who at a motor show, I want to say it was Frankfurt, and Bentley, it was, oh, no, it was an American brand. Anyway, he yelled across the motor show floor, you could have at least asked for the CAD files because he thought it was such a, <laughs> such a copy of one of his cars, which I thought was a pretty awesome shout out. Yeah, but I mean, well, but I mean, I guess he's not, he's copying himself rather than yeah. other people in some ways. But, you know, like the, the, the quad light look, um, personally, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I you know, I, I, I'm not sold on it, but I, but I do appreciate the fact that it is uniquely Genesis. Yep. It does give Genesis a defining. That's how you build a brand. It does. Yeah, it's true. Right. Look, like it, yeah, and yeah, and sorry, it, took, it, it took Lexus 
a very long time to come up with their spindle grill to yep. give them a definitive look. Um, and yep. so Genesis, to their credit, has sort of quickly realized that. Um, you've got to add something to hang Yeah, you've got to give, yep. it, give, it a, give it a, you know, down the road presence of, you know, like when you see it coming, you know that it's a Genesis. So, you know, I, I, th- I sort of acknowledge that element of it is, is, is a positive. I have a bold statement. As always. Fire away. I think, yes, like Lexus, they've developed a unique look, but the Genesis one is appealing as well as unique. Mm. Yes, I mean, oh. the, the Lexus, tend, at the moment, they tend to be a bit polarising. You know, you, you're on board or you're very much not. Uh, mm. I don't know whether it's that way. So, I mean, there's Steve's reaction. I'm not, a, I'm not a major fan, but you're not kind of... I'm not drawing any Lexus in the back of an exercise book. Maybe the LFA and the LC, but... What are you doing in the back of an exercise book? Well, a, you should be focused on your work, Mal. Come That's on. Right. This is not time exactly. for doodling. We use computers um, these days. Let's 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 move on. I want to I want to say it also has yes. quite naturally because it's a big vehicle has heaps of room. Um, with that much talk, it does indeed pull like a terrain. It it uh, has plenty of pulling power. Good tech. Although having said that, it's not as overtly techy as you know, say an equivalent Merc with the screens and all of that. It's it's different. It's a little more traditional in the way they've treated all of that stuff. Lots of safety. Um, actually, I noted easy entry to the third row. It's little back there, but you can get in there pretty easily, which is sometimes a problem. I would say that the materials, high quality as they are, they somehow just don't present in the same way as they do in the German big three. You know, you, you get into an Audi or a BMW or Merck and you just sense this, I don't know, there's this something, the quality of, the materials, the, the way they're put together, it's different in the Genesis. Um, second row armrest on the car I had was also dead set flaxen. It was like it just went down. There's a picture for people on YouTube. It didn't sit at an angle where you could put your arm on it. So something had happened there and it just flopped onto the onto the seat. That was one little um, quality thing I noticed. But Maybe someone confused it with a child seat. Maybe, maybe set their to, child to, on to, it. to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I enjoyed steering it. It's a very easy drive, but just by means of context, a Q, an Audi Q750 TDI Quattro is almost exactly the same money, as is a BMW X5 xDrive 25D M Sport or a Merc GLE 300D. They're all within a few thousand dollars. Are they, but are, they the, are they the three litre diesels or the two litre diesels though? Which ones? The Germans. The Germans, it's a 2.5 yeah. in BMW. That's right. That's right. I, remember but, looking, I, I remember previously looking at the three-litre German equivalent and, right. and from memory, the, the Genesis undercut it by like 15 grand. And that's cool. It just depends on how you classify things. You know, here's a dollar yeah. figure, this is what you can get, or here's the equivalent spec. I've gone down the road of here's the dollars you've got, these are your alternatives. So it's playing... You know, in a pretty serious field is the point I'm yeah. trying to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I was going to say, I think part of the appeal for me is is because looks aside, because um, they are subjective. Um, I, I agree. It's a, it's a, it was a good thing to drive when I've driven in the past. It's a it's a it's an easy mm. big SUV to drive. But the thing that got me was the value. Like it did. Right. Like if you if you want a three if you want a three liter Q7 or X5, you, you're saving. Yeah. You're saving, I think, yeah, over fifteen grand, and the, and the Benz is even more expensive to get a GLE four hundred D is is even even a, a bigger whack. So so yeah, and I think and I think to be fair, that's where Genesis needs to play. They need to play uh, in the uh, you know cheaper 
more, you know, more bang for your buck segment. They can't, yeah. you know, they would be mad to try and come in and start trying to compete on even terms. Well, it's and it's hardly bargain basin either. It's not no, like they're going to be seen as cheaping no. out. No. Because no, it's just a point of difference. Yeah, it's still a $100,000 car. Um, all right, that is the garage. Thank you. Let's move on to some feedback. Now, last week we were talking about an electric car invasion, and it pretty much is. I mean, the, the second half of this year is just loaded with EV arrivals um, into the Australian new car market. And our old mate Hammer Rocks mentioned that he thinks Tesla's master stroke and a big competitive advantage is its investment in supercharging infrastructure. You know, they, they may have questionable build quality, but no other EV brand can come near it. He reckons it's pure genius. Uh, but if BMW, Honda and Toyota can do the same and invest in hydrogen stations, um, who knows? And before we, before we discuss that one, Osmosis 909 responded and added, Hammer has hit the nail on the head, which I think is possibly the joke of the year. Um, if big manufacturers start investing in charging infrastructure, he sees Tesla market share and dominance dropping. Um, build quality and inconsistent finish puts buyers off Teslas. Um, he's due to change his car. He's looking at EVs, worried about charging infrastructure in the UK. So he's obviously uh, joining us from the UK, doesn't think it's quite there yet. And I, I didn't have any real conception of where the UK might be in terms of um, ability to recharge EVs, but with all of the local legislation around no-go zones for internal combustion and all that, I would have thought it would have to be pretty good, maybe in the, yeah. in the bigger urban areas, but uh, there you go. The other thing uh, with Tesla is that they've got this incredible brand appeal that extends well beyond anyone who's ever bought a Tesla. So the people who have been burnt by Tesla build quality uh, will be far outnumbered by those who still aspire to owning a Tesla. So I think they've got a great great chance to overcome that mm. and then look after the masses and and continue. So I don't think it's quite that simple. Yeah. You talk around you talk about the cult of Jimny, you know. The oh, cult of mm. Tesla is or the cult of Elon is 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 very, very strong. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. I, I would say to, to, to Hannah's point there, um, uh, you know, firstly, it, you know, in Europe, the, the big car makers have teamed up with that Ionity project, which is All effectively right. rolling out their own uh, charging infrastructure, you know, it's, it's I think Mercedes, BMW. Uh, there's a bunch of brands. I, I, I think there's anyway. There's a huge amount of brands. Like what we've got brands. here with ChargeFox. Yeah, well, that's the second point. Is you know mm. you don't actually need to car. You know, individual car companies. Mercedes doesn't need to roll out a Mercedes network, and BMW doesn't need to roll out. And you know, yeah, you can Great you know because if you buy most of these electric cars now, you get like I think Audi gives you a subscription to ChargeFox. You know, Porsche, I think, does. You know, there's 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 ways and means where you can publicly charge. But I think the other thing, too, with electric cars, that I think we're still caught up on the idea of publicly charging them. You know, yes. like, we seem to forget that the point, the point of electric cars is you can leave your driveway every day with a full tank. That's right. Right? If like, you've got solar panels on your roof, it's happening for free. Yeah. But the other, like, I mean, the, 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 the flip side of that is the very irregular nature of the way we live and and whether everybody has access to easy power where they park their car at home and our yeah. reluctance to get out of it at the end of the day and plug it into the plug wall it in. yeah yeah but but again i would i would argue like we look at these these things right like we've all got no, no, i can't even that's not going to show up because it's, it's black anyway <laughs> 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 but we all have smartphones. You're holding right? an invisible thing. Yes, my invisible thing. Imagine, 
<laughs> imagine there's a phone in my head. All right. Um, well, because you can't see it anyway. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm holding up a phone. Um, nice. We, we got you like phones, you know, my first phone was a Nokia, you know, that lasted for, for days without right. charging, right? Yeah. Yep. Now, because they're effectively small computers, yep. you've got, I've got to charge my phone multiple times a day, right? Yep. That's just the reality. Like I sit here at my desk, it's got to sit on the charger because the amount of times I use it and the power that it drains you got to keep topping it up. Mm. I think we will get to the point where it's just like, if, if you own an electric car, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a hassle. You've got to plug it in. But you know, if you, you know, I, I see most people buying these 60,000 plus electric vehicles probably do have a garage. And so it's not a huge effort to get out of your car and plug it in. You know, yep. can I, re- can I reiterate my favorite analogy on that front? Mm-hmm. How few of us, if we don't have a power garage door, are willing to get out and open that garage door? <laughs> wow. And and the cars sit on the street. I'm not talking about myself. My my yeah. power thing's broken. But yeah. but how many people what do you know the with garage? a garage yeah. and the cars sit out the front? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, again, I just think I we think have to a, change. There's a mind, it's more of a mindset change than yeah. it is really a technology. We have to change. Because the other thing, too, is I mean, when I've had, you know, you know, we generally have these cars for a week, you know, the amount of electric vehicles I've had that I haven't bothered recharging hmm. because you can get a couple of hundred Ks out of it, you know, easily. Like even the, you know, stuff like uh, I think the only one I've really been concerned about topping up regularly has been you know, early Nissan Leaf um, and now the MGZS because it's a relatively uh, small battery and it does chew it up a little bit. But, um, you know, I've had... Also a cheap EV. You so. know, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a trade-off. Yeah. But, you know, I've had Hyundai's where I've just left them on the driveway and not worried about it because I'm not driving, you, you lazy, know, 400 k lazy, lazy, lazy bastard. <laughs> hey, my, my alpha should get its preference to the driveway. Okay, cool. covered up. When well, you've got to drive it while Plus, it's still there. Yeah. Presumably, it's going back to nature. <laughs> this is um, you know, one yeah. on piece of the background at a time. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it, Ruskin. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing too with the MG is I charged it publicly. You know, yep. I you know that's I would it. pick my kids up from my you know my, you know my daughter goes to school near a shopping center that has yep. public electric vehicle charging, and I can stop there, you know, plug it in. You know, collect her, get afternoon tea, come back, and you know, in thirty minutes, forty minutes, it's it's it basically it's a the trip is negated because I've got the same amount of charge when I get home as when I left. I wonder when we'll get to the tipping point where the number of EV dedicated EV parking spaces just becomes irrelevant, and you know, there are so many EVs that that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what this is about Tesla and their supercharging thing is having having like I say, having driven a few EVs this year. Um, and trying to use these shopping center charging points. Yeah. There's bloody Teslas in every spot. Like all these superchargers are so great. Yeah, yeah. Go and, go and charge in your in your Tesla supercharger and leave the leave the non-Tesla branded ones to the other cars. Thank you. Very oh, much. Annoying is it when you come across that and the thing's full. Yeah. Like, come on, just get out of there. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, that like um, again, another shopping center near me that you know it's got to have what five thousand parking spots. Like it's you know it's yes. a huge monstrous parking structure, and then. I drove around trying to find a place to charge my uh, Porsche Taycan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One does. Found, found, found the massive uh, electric charging bank was two parking spots. 
uh, out of oh, five thousand, yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course, yeah. both of them had Teslas in it. So yeah. you know, yeah. um, better that than the uh, both of them having a diesel Triton in it, which is <laughs> <laughs> the other side of the coin. Yeah, or in but America, I mean, it'd be the the good old boys, you know, hooking up their truck and dragging the supercharger out of the. <laughs> <laughs> but look, yeah. I mean, there is a so there progressive. Is a, there is a, a a serious like bigger issue. Yeah, like the charging infrastructure has got to get better because electric cars are coming. You know, like yeah. we just can't yeah, we can't yeah, avoid right. it. Like as much as we want to avoid it, look, they're here. It's happening. Internal combustion will stick around, particularly in Australia where we don't. You know, are, are dragging our feet, quite frankly. But you know, like yeah, all right. You, no, look, 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 we should we should move on. Yes. Good discussion, but. Tim Burr, 86. Tim Burr, 86. Ask why we never mentioned Ford's Mark E in the context of upcoming EVs. Has it been delayed or has Ford pulled the pin for us? And as far as I know, Ford Australia has no plans um, to bring they, they, the Mark E to Australia, even, even though there's a right-hand drive version, I think. But latest news, Steve, do you know otherwise? Uh, I'm not sure if there's a right-hand I, I haven't heard anything about a right-hand drive version. Okay. My understanding is that it's left-hand drive, uh, they they didn't pull the pin. They never, never wanted it for it. Australia. Well, yeah, yeah. I think they would like. I mean, who knows with Ford Australia? You know, apparently, still in the UK though. Apparently, there's no market for the Ford Bronco here. So, um, mm. but my understanding is they can only produce a you know a, a X amount, I see. and yes. you know, they're going to get gobbled up in America yeah. and and or China. So there's no yeah. point, you know, fussing about a market in it like the other side of the world that has a steering wheel on the wrong side. And if we're lucky, we'll sell, yeah. you know, hundred or a few thousand. You know, looks like, like a great car though. I'd, I'd, mate, yeah. To to me, honestly, I think that no joke. You know, like you know, we, we we've talked about Ford on the on on, on the, in the past on this podcast and in some of their decisions. I, I just I honestly believe that car would be a game changer for electric vehicles yeah. in Australia. Right, yeah, because yeah. we love SUVs, we love performance, and you know, and we love you know names like Mustang. You know, like yeah. it ticks all the boxes in terms yeah. of like you know, I, I think cars like the Ionic Five and, and the Kia EV6 have got potential to be, yeah, to be game changers for electric vehicles in terms of being more mass, having mass appeal and stuff. But yeah, you know, the the Mustang Mark E, it's it just ticks all the boxes for what an electric vehicle for Australians, I think, that we, we would love, you know? So it's, it is a real shame that it isn't coming here. Uh, okay. Mm. Australians buy very few EcoBoost Mustangs. Yes. We love an SUV. To Steve's Sorry. point, I think it's, a, it's a, a really clever extension of the Mustang sub-brand yeah. into a car that is more broadly desirable as an EV. I, I, I think taking the, the kind of, EcoBoost version of the existing Mustang. I don't know whether it's that. I think it's a it's a broader play on Mustang as a brand. Yeah, I, I, I think it comes down to whether the appeal of the SUV outweighs what we've come to expect from something with the Mustang badge. Cool. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I think you would you know as you know we've referred to it in this even in this chat as a Mark E. Like it almost mm. the Mustang is almost like a secondary element to it. Like the fact that it's a yeah. Mustang, I think. Would help people understand it's a, it's going to be performance. You know, mm. it's going to be a performance vehicle. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the new what the new uh, GT version they've released in the states is, sounds very very rapid. You know, so mm. I think I believe they're selling quite position. well in the states too. Yeah, yeah. So, 
you know, right, that's, where, that's where it needs to sell. Let's, let's, yeah. let's keep going. Richard Neal made an interesting point. He, he says he's been following Sandy Munro's EV product auditing and says it's obvious how immature many of these electric car solutions are. Just look at the motor bay um, of the Mazda MX-30, and he's seeing clamps and hoses, which in Sandy Munro's world are points of failure. Um, Many of the parts need to be better designed, simpler, and better integrated before he'd advise anyone to buy one. So Sandy Munro, I'm sure a lot of our listeners and viewers will know, is a person who makes most of his dough out of deconstructing, analysing, pricing, working out how cars are built, um, the quality of their manufacturer, the processes that go into making the car. And um, there you go, he's having a real-world impact on people's appreciation of the actual nuts and bolts of these electric cars. Yeah, I, I think that speaks to the fact that a lot of brands are at that point where they're just uh, converting ICE vehicles, right? They're just, you know, like, yeah. like you know, it makes sense. Like Mercedes, the EQC, uh, I assume EQA, you know, they, they can they can build, yeah, um, they can stick a petrol engine in it or they can stick an electric motor in it if they have to. Mm. You know, it gives them it's a bit more the economies of scales they need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this at this stage, because I think the market in general is still a bit immature, you know, and yeah. but it's changing, and you see brands now fully embracing electric platforms as you know as bespoke electric platforms because yeah. they you know they see the benefit of it. You know, there's there's you know there's packaging benefits and, and efficiency benefits that you can gain by just building a, an electric vehicle from the ground up. But yeah, you know, no doubt, some you know you, you know you could argue that it's it's corner cutting, but it's but there's just a, a, an economic reality to what some of these brands are doing to, to, to get these cars to market, which is, not, not to me, not a bad thing. Yep, yep. All right, well, look, we'll move on to our, our final piece of feedback, which was Noel Gibson, and he says, Toyotas are more gooder. Um, winky emoji and a thumbs up. And look, Noel, can I just correct your grammar and expression there? Um, the term is more gooder all right, thank mm. you. Um, mm. Just, I don't want to be pernickety or pedant, but uh, straight from the DP no, editor. It's more, it's more good. Right? Okay, that's, that's good uh, community advice. <laughs> Keep that in mind, Steve. Yeah. With, with that, yes. we've we want to change reached, those weekend pieces. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna try to get into a next, uh, next, my next story. <laughs> thank you, Mal. Thank you, and James thank and you, Steve. Steve. Thanks, boys. And thanks to our Ayatollah of the Rock and Roller, Knowledge Navigator and VP of Facial Hair, Mr. Pritchard, for his digital dexterity and commitment to the Cars Guide cause. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, if I were joking, you would be laughing. Um, wonderfully absorbent astronaut shorts and hoof boots. People on YouTube will see what I'm talking about. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars is the preferred assessment. Um, anything less than that, let us have it with both barrels. As we always say, it's okay to learn. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, Wazza and Boof were uh, standing in the middle of a narrow bush road near a bend, having a yarn and not taking much notice of anything else. Sure enough, out of nowhere, around the corner comes a car at high speed. At the last moment, the driver spots Wazza and Boof, slams on the brakes, 
but crashes through a gateway into the paddock beside the road. Wazza says to Boof, did you see that, mate? If we'd been standing in that field, we would have been killed. Crickets. <laughs> Just a bunch like eh? um, oh, are you sure? Oh. Are you sure Pritchard's wearing that shirt? Okay. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. Good point. Well said. <laughs>